You take it, Billy. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? Uh, another camera issue. We have, we sit here and fought with this thing for like 10 minutes. But anyway, we're going to continue on. I guess it's just meant that I open up this show, Judson. I mean, I guess that's the... I'm fine with it. That's what's happening here. Um, I promise I'm not sabotaging it for airtime. So anyways, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and shoot it back over to Judson, let him introduce the show, and see if his camera is now working for us. Go ahead, dude. Just go ahead. What's up, guys? Um, it seems like every show, this camera wants to give us trouble right at the beginning. But we're going to get started. Like Billy said, that's Billy over there. Judson, we got an awesome guest today, um, Elias. Um, we're just we're stoked. I think this is show number seven, and it's, it's going well. We're having a lot of fun doing it, and hope you all are enjoying it. Uh, like like Billy always usually says, just go ahead and share this, uh, share this um, show on your Facebook, on your Instagram. Um, and, and be sure to comment um, why, why we're live here. Is the camera working? Oh, my goodness. There we go. Here there we, we go. But, yeah, so, yeah, we're stoked to, stoked to be here. Sorry about that technical difficulty. But, yeah, like I was saying, please share this uh, on your Facebook. Love to get, uh, get some more people on here. So um, you want to yeah, take it away, Billy? Absolutely. And also let us know where you're watching from, interact with the show. I don't know. I, you probably said a lot of stuff while I was messing around with the camera, but – um, yeah, just make sure you interact with the show for a chance to win our giveaway. What is that going to be? What are we giving away this week? Anyway, we have it close. Yeah, by. it's that. We have that red hat over there. So we Perfect. got a we got Elias. He's on. He, we're going to introduce him in a little bit. So he's just going to help us hand this stuff red away. Afco hat. We got a koozie to go with it and some stickers. Yeah, so. perfect. And then we're going to do a catch of the week giveaway as well, which I don't know what that is, but we'll figure it out. We got some we more Afco there. gear for you. Oh, some more Afco gear. Yep. Oh, perfect. All right. So hey, be sure to tell us where you're watching from. Always interested to know where where that is is coming from and where you guys are watching us from and also check out our online store we got hats and apparel on there so be sure to go to etcurrent.com check that out also you'll be able to see our latest podcast so you'll see episode six from last week and then uh hopefully sometime tomorrow episode seven as i upload that and get it going so yeah go ahead judson what is happening with our sponsors well, first, also uh, talking about the podcast, we were talking about this before the show, but it would be just a huge help if y'all would go over and uh, oh, yeah, leave yeah, us yeah. a, a um, what's it called, a review on our on our iTunes channel for our podcast. That'll just help people be able to find it there and uh, and be able to share the love. But we're yeah, going to jump into an this. An honest review. An honest review. An honest review. Yeah. If you yeah. hate it, that's fine. <laughs> if you love it, that's fine. Um, just don't use our names if it's a, if it's a mean review because it just it's super hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no personal stuff. Just like. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So okay, we want to thank our sponsors as usual. First off, we got Thorpe Creative, who um, does a bunch of printing and all kinds of online media stuff. And I just got some shirts for my business oh, made yeah. by him. Can you, sh um, can you show us some of those? Oh, yeah, right. There you go. Eastern Angling. Eastern Angling. Looks super good. Man. He did a, a couple cool designs for me. Uh, we, and Eastern Angling is my, my guide business. It, it has been Muddy Fly Guide Service for the past six or seven years and kind of tried to transition just from the fly fishing thing into... Uh, Doing, doing, doing just about everything. So um, that's Eastern Angling. We want to thank Cito. We got a tip of the week coming up for y'all from Ooh, Cito. Yeah. Um, I Strike, real good relationship with I Strike. We love their stuff, and uh, we just we're super thankful for them. Um, also, um, Afco and Marshwear, just super great companies, great clothing. Afco kind of covers the heavy gear, and and Marshwear some of the more lifestyle stuff. So um, sick shirt, by the way. I, I wear this like every other episode. It gets so hot in here with these lights. That, I'm gonna, uh, gonna you need a sun more, shirt. We have to bring, yeah, we have to bring on some more sponsors so I can wear something other besides the shirt. I'm like, I'm just the poor guy. <laughs> have you washed it yet? Be honest. I, I don't know, man. I don't wash clothes. My wife, oh, she takes good care of me. So <laughs> once a month, I get my clothes washed. So I think it made it. Nice. Um, but dude, we don't want to forget about Hookline and Paddle, man. They actually uh, yeah. helped us promote this show this week. So we're going to be obviously talking about kayak fishing. So go over there and see Chris. 
uh, or Dan over at Hook, Line, and Paddle right off at of Eastwood Road. Man, they are just phenomenal. Chris, dude, Chris is like probably, I mean, obviously he owns a kayak shop, so he knows a lot about it, a lot about gearing up kayaks. So a lot of stuff we'll talk about on this show. You can go over there, and he'll, he'll kind of help you out and steer you in the right direction and, and get you the right gear, right equipment, um, all those types of things. So we love those guys and appreciate them helping us push the show out there and, uh, and, and telling all their followers about it. So absolutely. Well, I guess it's time for the Seto tip of the week. Yeah, I'm mean, I'm always excited to see what these are. Yeah, man, this one this one is pretty. I mean, once again, common sense. So let me see if I can pull it up here. Yep, keep an eye on the weather. It can change quickly. <laughs> Dude, this one's per. I mean, yeah, everybody's like, oh, that's kind of that's common sense, man. Is that like so, just one eye on the weather the whole time while you're fishing? Yeah, like one eye on the weather, one eye on fishing. You know, like, I like it. I don't I like know what that, I don't know who that old movie star is from back in the day. Where never mind, I won't get into that. But anyway, her eyes went like different ways. People say my dog Kevin looks like her. So, don't know. <laughs> anyway. so anyway, and, and dude, we'll talk about weather today. We'll, we'll ask Elias because dude, he goes out there, man. He goes miles out on a kayak. So we'll talk about that as well. So all right, dude, who is definitely? Dolph- <laughs> 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 all right, man. Who's I had to throw that in there somewhere. Who's the catch? I've been wanting to say that since the first episode, dude, and I've held it back. That's perfect. I think people trust us enough now that like, all right, we know where these guys are coming from. <laughs> All right, dude, go ahead. Who's the catch of the week? The catch of the week is Aaron Wood, Instagram name Hooked on Wood. I don't want to know what that means, but (laughs) it's Aaron Wood with this awesome mahi that he caught. Um, So congrats, Aaron. We've got some AFCO gear coming at you. Uh, Be sure on on our Facebook, if you can, or our Instagram. Just shoot us your address and and your shipping information, and we'll get it shipped out to you. That's awesome. Man, look at that thing, dude. What do you think that is? 35, 40 pounds more? I think so. Right in there. That's it's a good that's a good fish. I caught one like double that size. It's eighty no. <laughs> eighty five pounds. Eighty five pounds. Now that thing looks awesome, dude. Good job. All right, Judson. Well man, we blasted through the first part of that episode. So man, once again, episode seven, I think statistically, like if we make it through this episode, we've like reached a milestone in the podcasting live show world. So, I think we're just we're so, about to blow up. So cheers to you. There you go. Cheers. Here cheers. we go. All right. Awesome. Well, um, then I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you introduce our guest awesome. and tell us a little bit more about awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. So super excited to have um, our guest here today. It's Elias how do you say your last name again? Viceberg. Viceberg. Elias Viceberg. You want to bring him up? I'm gonna br- I'm gonna bring there him right he is. There he is right on camera. So Elias and I um just kind of connected over through social media, I believe, but our, our, my wife and his girlfriend work together. And so, um, I started making some dinky little YouTube videos and Hannah was like, Hey, this, this girl I work with, uh, her boyfriend is a YouTuber and, uh, makes his living fishing. And I was like, I'm super jealous. I got to meet this guy. So I reached out to Elias and, and we went and, and had like a, just kind of a crazy day on the water. We didn't do very well, but we, we, uh, we had a fun time hanging out and getting to know each other. So next time we get out there, I think we're going to, that's, it's going to be our, our time to break loose. We'll remember but, to bring rods and reels. Yeah. We'll remember to bring rods and reels. <laughs> we were supposed to blow and we were going to go fish one area and it was like the slickest day I've seen all summer. <laughs> right. And we took my little flat skiff like five miles out in the ocean and tried to flounder fish and, um, and it didn't work out for you. I mean, Nothing? we caught a ton of fish, but yeah, yeah, no, we didn't. So, <laughs> we so did let's, not catch let's be fish. honest. So, Elias, you have an amazing YouTube following. You worked, you know, super hard. Watch your YouTube videos. Learned a lot already. And just this week, man, I like did like a crunch thing. So, did you, Judson? Yes. Like, get his autograph. I got it uh, as a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> as a tattoo. I don't want to know where that tattoo is at or located, <laughs> but yeah, okay. Man, great to have you in the studio. He got mine as well, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so you guys just swapped tattoos. Yeah, we swapped okay, tats. I got you. So you just went out. Okay, this is going downhill really fast. 
Hook uh, on wood, baby. I was going to say thanks for trusting us with your reputation, as I do all guests, <laughs> but we have now sunk this ship. It's, uh, it's, it's... Right, we can address uh, all the hot questions of haircuts, sexual orientation, <laughs> um, you know, the usual. It's 2019, man. Anything that's, goes. That's all they care. They don't really exactly. care about the fishing. Exactly. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, well, hey, appreciate you being on. Uh, I know that um, you know. I'm I'm excited because I love to kayak fish and, and get to go occasionally. As I was telling you earlier before the show, I have a one year old, so my kayak fishing days have uh, slowed down dramatically since then. But yeah, now my adventure is chasing a little one year old guy as he climbs on the couch and, and tries <laughs> to face dive off of it. So that's pretty adventurous as well. That's awesome. Um, but anyway, man, let's go ahead and get into this. Yeah, and, for and sure. So Elias, you also started like a, a tackle company as well along with your your youtube channel so you want to talk about that a little bit as we before we get started you want to save that to the end we jump into i mean it. it's all a progression story yeah um, okay well yeah let's start with your story kind of t- how'd you get into fishing so tell us all about that yeah i was born and raised in the sheeps of bay section of brooklyn new york that's a big headboat area okay so party boats kind of sucked my teeth in on that party boat crowd uh-huh. uh surf casting as well and then from there you know uh, didn't have money for a boat and also didn't have space for a boat. Space is a premium in the north, uh, up north. Uh, so I got into kayak fishing from there while still in that headboat world. Um, you know, let's talk eight years later or something like that. Uh, <laughs> began guiding. Um, I did do some guiding up north. And during that guiding period, a big uh, expense of mine was soft plastics. Yeah. So I basically tinkered with that idea while I was guiding at the time. And, you know, it was one of the biggest costs I could kind of reduce on. Yeah, for that, sure. That made sense to me. So soft plastics. And during that time, soft plastics, YouTube was, that, you know, all the kids were doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we went from YouTube during the guiding period. Um, and those two aspects of the business of whatever I was doing took uh, precedent over guiding. And yeah. Here we are now, the two survivors out of the three. Was it a pretty quick swap from guiding to YouTube? I and, and guided full-time for three years. Okay. Um, and my last year um, was the year that I said, okay, the next year it's going to become the YouTube yeah. thing. It's going to become the big the big player. So the writing was on the wall that, all right, we can transition. We're slowly. So my last year of guiding, I kind of did it only on Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. yeah. And then Monday through Friday, I put the cameras and went fishing solo. And that was my final year of doing that for higher sort yeah. of work. And the meanwhile, the, the plastic lures went from one mold to seven molds to uh, doing different things. And that's going to continuously change. Yeah, for sure. Adapt. And so. Yeah, that's cool. And so when you're guiding, was that like kayak fishing guiding? Kayak guiding, yeah. Okay. I modeled yeah. it off. I, I didn't create kayak guiding. I modeled it off the guys in South Florida. Uh, Brian Nelly pushing water ch- kayak charters and um, Deep Blue. I kind of mar- modeled it off their thing and striped bass, bluefish. I mean, all the Northeast species. So I, I took their idea and gave it a whirl. And it worked. It was a lot of work, but it worked. Yeah, now for your product, is that something that you're pouring and molding like yourself? Did you kind of get into the handyman aspect of that? It was something that we started. I uh, had a, uh, somebody I was working with at the time. We started doing like that, pours, and then from there, I cast. I met a big manufacturer overseas oh, that cool. was able to take the work there and bring it overseas and i'm still working with that company um and they work for a lot of not just elias fishing they work with a lot of big companies so i don't want to be blowing it up left and right who they work with but it's not just a (laughs) me it's it's big companies that they they pour for 
Um, so that's been a partnership that's been good. And I, um, at this point, I've been making new designs and changing things. So it went from stock molds to, you know, now I'm really playing around and we'll have new products based on ideas that I, you know, kind of put together in my head. For okay. sure. Man, that's sure. awesome. Well, one question that I want to talk about, me and Billy were talking about this the other day is, we both watched that episode you put up with your kayak cracking. Which one? Will you pass me one? <laughs> and uh, with your kayak cracking, the most recent one. And out we were like, yes. out in the ocean. And we were like, what the heck? His kayak cracked out there. He stayed out there fishing all day. If I think <laughs> like that my that my my plug is like leaking a little bit, I'm like heading yeah. to the ramp. Yeah. But um, so tell us about that. Like what all, what happened out there? And why uh, did you decide to stay? Well, and, and hold on. I want, I want to preface yeah, yeah, a little bit. I'm, I'm going to bring myself I actually went out here. the next day with that cracked kayak. I didn't make a video, but I did. <laughs> Dude, so, I mean, if you guys go watch the video, uh, you can go find his YouTube channel. Pretty pretty easy to go look up at Elias V Fishing. I mean, it's not like, oh, hey, I got a little bit of water. It's like, did you have a sponge? And you're like casting, like still fishing, like sponging out with the other hand. And I'm going... <laughs> This guy I, is nuts. I can't wait to have him on the show. It's it's funny. It's like I take it seriously because I was out there and I was like, I got out there and it felt fishy. And I'm like, I should really make this video. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, I mean, if water, I, I was checking it constantly throughout the day. If a sudden condition of extra water started coming you in. You had none. I would have so it was a pretty it. small little crack and leak. Mm, you know, taking on a gallon an hour or <laughs> yeah, two. Dude, okay. It was a lot. <laughs> That's crazy. It was a lot crazy. of a plastic yeah. boat. It's concerning. Yeah, it's, it's, it's concerning. Concern. That's very concerning. And how far out were you at the time? I was a mile out. You know, there's plenty of <laughs> just sharks and shit. But anyway, <laughs> I think the panic would hit if I was in the water, though. It would hit. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, at least. No. Were you around other boats? There were two there boats. There were two other around. boats, okay. So I did have that as my backup. But yeah, it's... um. It still felt like the situation was under my control. Yeah. Dot, yeah. dot, dot. Yeah, that's, that's the right <laughs> one. one of those things, is. though, as a kayak angler, um, you always feel like you're in control until you're absolutely not. Yeah, until you're like, uh, okay, <laughs> you're, I'm, on, you're I'm, in the water. I'm radioing for somebody. <laughs> you're radioing, yeah. So that's, um, but that's uh, a reminder never get sloppy, man, uh, with your safety stuff. That was like another, you know, I had a bilge pump with me and I had that little. What I like about that sponge, it's one-handed operation, so yeah. I can fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the pump. Got to keep the rod in your hand. Keep the fishing. It's two hands. Uh, <laughs> Dude, yeah, he's like jigging up. with one hand, like putting sponging out with the other, and I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, and he's even saying, like, kind of nervously, like, oh man, I, I mean, I, I'm getting water out. Like, I'm, I, I don't know what the situation is here, and I mean, you mentioned it several times, and then, but still fishing. I'm like, Dude, that's awesome. That is so. awesome. I think it's I've uh, been in situate that situation before, so it did <laughs> calm me down. Didn't freak you out too much. Boat. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, a few more YouTube questions. So, what what is your most successful YouTube video? And that that could be like views and, and everything, or it could be like, all right, this is my favorite YouTube video that I've ever. Yeah. Done. Let's oh, talk yeah, about your favorite YouTube video. So it's funny the vi the videos that I make that I think are the best in my opinion uh -huh. are the, the worst on views. It's really? Because it's my perspective of what. Yeah. I think is angling int interesting from an angling st standpoint. So like recent examples, I did a brown trout video, which was like incredible. I watched that. Have you seen that one, Billy? <laughs> I, I saw the cover picture. It was oh like my massive. gosh. I mean, from I've never done that before in my yeah. life. And it was a combination of just, you know, fishing in different environments from North Carolina, salt right. water. And it's piecing together lots of different uh, techniques and things I've learned. And even like stuff I did up north and here too, but stuff I've did up north, like I, I put out some amazing gray trout videos of like yeah. 10 pound 
10 pound class trap. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's like, it doesn't really do much views wise. Right. The, the public likes, uh, unfortunately, I, sometimes they like this dumber stuff. Like today I put out a video of just getting my fishing license checked. <laughs> and oh, it's already right. the best performing uh, video of the month. <laughs> that's funny. That's crazy. So um, I always say to aspiring YouTubers, that's a strange word. You know, I saw this survey um, that they asked um, elementary school kids of what profession they want and vlogger was like higher than astronaut and really like, this is the darkest time in human history <laughs> um, i'm not a proud youtuber i do it but i'm not proud <laughs> i will never put a youtuber sticker on my truck but anyway uh what you was just it? crossed the dreams of every young angler in america they That's thought they were true. gonna make it there's a lot better inspirations out there than me anyway, there is and that and that i category. can say that i'm just kidding <laughs> but um yeah, for the aspiring YouTuber, um, always keep it as broad as possible. Um, seems like the consistent formula five years later is how to tie a knot. <laughs> yeah, those knot videos do really well. A knot video, you know, especially if you got your own twist on it, you know, best value reels, getting anything law enforcement related, as weird as it is. <laughs> um, that kind of stuff seems to always drive Nobody the likes the cops. And, yeah, and in like, really specific niche things you lose people sometimes yeah <laughs> you really sure. do even though i find it the most enjoyable from an angling stamp and there's plenty of things like there's days that no video is made there's a lot of days no video is made and sometimes i do have that flexibility to fish just for myself and it yeah. happens it you know maybe once every two weeks if i'm way ahead on videos i could say fuck the camera oops I'm allowed to <laughs> we try not to but it's okay F the camera through the camera <laughs> yeah I say I don't want the camera. I'm yeah. just going to go fish for myself. And I'm able to do that uh, here and there. I yeah, for sure. And I, that's sure. like the days that it feels you know fresh and really for sure. there's no pressure on me. I like it. Sure. I like that. Um, my next question was, what is your camera, no camera, most epic day of fishing that you have? Like what's it could be 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It could have been two days ago. Your Your favorite day on the water that you've had. Uh, I think my most important uh, night was a tournament night. Yeah. Um, that was probably the best night of striped bass fishing I ever had. And I, it wasn't under too much my success. I, it was a buddy of mine. I was fishing a tournament in Massachusetts. Kayak tournament? Yeah, it was a kayak fishing okay. tournament. I landed um, four stripers over 46 inches and one over 50. Golly. And um, that was a That's night incredible. during a thunderstorm. And after I landed the 50-incher, there was bolts of lightning flying over my head. And on that beach, there was a sushi bar. And I literally beached the kayak soaking wet <laughs> after it slimed up by, you know, 40 pound class plus stripers and just walked into the sushi bar and bought like a Diet Coke and just sat on the beach. <laughs> with That's incredible. At midnight. That is awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a, and that, that fish won a tournament, that, that 51 injure. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Pretty. That was up back up north. Where were yeah, you there? That was in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, now we're kind of going to. I always do this like once a show. I start stumbling over my words. Here we go. Here we go. We got. You got something, Billy? You want to take this next little section? No. Yeah. No. I was gonna say we're. I'm just gonna keep moving down these questions. Yeah, for here sure. They're, they're they're good. So, uh, you know, a lot of people in a lot of our audience that's listening, that's that's on the show, that's watching the show. Uh, a lot of gosh, sorry, man. I'm uh, every time I try to switch and do everything, I'm an amateur hour here. <laughs> I've just been doing this for seven times. So, 
it's not big we're deal. doing it live so i think everyone understands we're good no they're good man they don't care it's the listeners afterward that it's painful because that's they gotta true hear this you know that's what true. i'm saying so so Sorry, let's talk guys. about the advantages uh because i'm sure you're f- used to fishing on the boat i'm sure you're used to fishing in a kayak all you know it sounds like you're a, just a fishy dude so you've probably fished all kinds of different avenues from the bank, from the shore, from the, you know, like wherever. So what is the advantage of kayak fishing that you've found or that you've enjoyed the most? I, I just find the practicality of it, especially as I get into my thirties. Um, it's the best traveling fishing platform. If you ask me that yeah. you can kind of drive anywhere and go anywhere in this country. If you travel a lot for work and man, that's like, if I didn't have, if I ever took another job, well, maybe, you know, in my forties or fifties, I won't be able to physically do it as, aggressively as i'm doing now man if i if i was a, on a road kind of job that would be so much fun yeah it would to hit lots of different states on your days off if you're you know a traveling salesman whatever you were doing that was a traveling profession mm-hmm. that to me is the most appealing part of kayak fishing um that practicality of popping any body of water boom you go no trailer nothing yeah see something along the road just go hit it go what what's it. in here yeah that's <laughs> that's pretty cool to me um, I always say is it's like the, the dedicated surf caster and the dedicated kayak angler. You can always stack apples or, you know, we've always said, Oh, how sure. many more fish you could catch from a boat? But there's also a certain level of dedication. Absolutely. If I want to catch as many fish as I can, I'd get on a boat, but there's a certain appeal to doing it from a certain platform. Same reason you can talk to that dedicated, uh, surf caster and they'll be like, they want to do it their way and you know, it feels more rewarding working for it. Yeah. So, and the same thing with the stand-up paddleboard guy. They look at me on the Hobie with the pedals. They're laughing at me like, <laughs> that's cheating. That's nonsense. I'm standing on this paddleboard. I got one fly, one rod. Yeah. Yep, th- that is my goal. And the so. spear fisherman's laughing at all of us. That's right. one of the most beautiful things about fishing is you can kind of set up your own environment and your right. own goal and your own, like, one guy going out and catching one red fish on the fly on a paddleboard could be just as rewarding as a kayak guy going and catching 10 flounder on a wreck or uh, someone on a boat going and catching 30 trout. I mean, it's just kind of you set your own standards and, and kind of what you want to achieve, right. which is really cool. And I've been fishing off a boat most of my life, and I've recently really had this desire to to get into kayak fishing. Like, I want to get a kayak. I want to start kayak fishing. One, for the reason you're talking about, you're dri- driving down the road or traveling, you can just hop in anywhere and fish yeah. some different stuff. But also, That always keeps it fresh, too. It's funny, whenever you travel, you yeah. reset your expectations. You can catch one fish on the yeah, road, and, you're and it's stoked. awesome. Yeah. You're stoked. <laughs> when you sit and build, you know, you become kind of like used to a certain body of water. You know, you you build expectations. It should, I should be catching X amount of this, right. Y amount of that. And this is how your day should be. Yeah. And he yeah. caught these fish, so I should have caught these fish. But when too. you hit the road, you catch three ladyfish in Florida. You're like, that oh, was still pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. awesome. It makes you fish a, a spot, you know, more diligently too. Unlike a boat, you know, you fish for five minutes, like screw this, and you, eh, you run gas 12 miles somewhere else and start fishing. But yeah, well, I think Elias does that. I think, isn't that right? Like, I think I watched a video where he's just like, I don't fish one place too long, and you just like take off and go fish somewhere else. You, yeah. you move quite a bit. I do end up moving a lot, but it's also, I have a limited range. So, like, I'd say a kayak's average range. Sure, you can go more. I'd say three miles is more or less you're going to be pushing the envelope i think the average guy's going one to two maybe three if you got good weather absolutely there's those days you can go five yeah if you really have the weather but two days a year yeah for <laughs> sure so there was a question that somebody sent me earlier that's not i don't know if they're watching live or not but they speaking of weather speaking of going out you know two or three miles or whatever like how far in advance do you plan a trip i mean you're looking are you like 
stacked on the weather channel like what does that look like for you so that's a tough one man i think there's here it's been a little i've had that learning curve of learning the weather patterns here i was very comfortable with a lot of the the patterns um that i typically run into up north um first i usually take three weather models um they're not the best they're not the worst i use wind finder wind alert and the um fish weather and sometimes the weather.com hourly if there's a consensus of all those forecasts excuse me typically lining up usually i've got a good shot at it <laughs> but if you get like you load up you know a bunch of different models and you see something way off you got to be prepared in your head like all right maybe i can make it out and a lot of these models, man, you got to check that first thing in the morning. They'll flip that forecast. Oh, 100%. You go to bed, and then you wake up. You're like, man, they flipped everything around. <laughs> now they're all in, a, in agreement. Yeah. So, oh, like, yeah. tonight, I guarantee you, t- tomorrow there's a, there's a front moving through. Uh, you're going to have some models with heavy north winds for the morning, and then you're going to have some models with mild north winds. And you're going to have to wake up and be like, oh, here's my strategy for the day. So, sometimes you pack, you know, for the night to do some long treks, but... You know, you get kicked in the teeth when the, the alarm goes off and you walk out the door. That's not happening. So it's one of those things. Um, look at a lot of models. And typically, if there's a consensus, it gives me. A, but, you know, every time it's usually in the morning that decision's made. Um, there's been a lot of times we stand on that beach, look at that surf. Nothing like, nah, it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> that's been pl- that plenty. And you just go home and get some coffee or fish inshore or something like that. I like it. So we're going to kind of jump into some, some kayak. Well, let's, I think we had one other question here. Um, I'll look it up while you're answering this one. Let's jump into some kayak questions here. And, and uh, we're talking about how you've kind of got limited room on a kayak. So what are some of the things that you always make sure you have on the boat? And then what are the, some of the things you, that you kind of vary back and forth between your trips? Kayak fishing is kind of like being Batman. You have to, <laughs> you have your utility yeah. belt. Yeah. <laughs> you got a couple of, you know, you could bring X amount of things and the smaller and the faster the boat, the less you can bring. Yeah. The bigger and slower, the more you can bring. Um, North Carolina was a rude awakening um, in, the ter- in the aspect that you know, I couldn't plan uh, a lot of the species I'd end up bumping into, whereas like a lot of times I was taken by surprise um, by patterns that I wasn't used to from where I came from. Uh, running into Albies in the middle of summer, I was like, I never in a million years thought I'd run into Albies in July. And it happens here, and I yeah, have nothing for, for them. Sure. Uh, now, well, this is the second year it's happened, so I'm like, okay, I remember I ran into Albies last year this time of year. So certain things like that. Um, it's trying to bring the most universal, uh, lures or tactics with you. Um, so that means if I'm going out into the ocean, I'm probably not going to pack more than one shallow diving plug because it's a limited range type of lure for, uh, the fact that I could run into 10 fish that might live on the bottom, then two up top. Um, typically it's soft plastics come with me typically mine um then uh well some live bait rigs and if one flounder season's kicking and going some golf i mean that yeah. would be it soft plastics different flavors different sizes a couple metal lures maybe live bait rigs and that's it awesome I try to compart i don't bring a thousand plugs yeah. with me uh in general i always try to dial back my hatches in my boat like once every other week and then 
if you went and looked at them right now, you wouldn't be able to find anything because everything is just piled on top of it in there. I, I'm very bad about dialing it back. I'm good at dialing it back, but it, it, it very quickly gets loaded down again. Um, so um, the next question was pe- uh, like a pedal drive versus a paddle kayak. Like, is there, are you always going to have a pedal drive kayak or, or do you kind of like both or, or how does that, how does that work? It's the, the user, not the platform. The user, not well, the platform. You keep shaking your finger. I just put you on the main camera. Just, <laughs> I like the that. The user, not the platform. There you go. Perfect. That, that was a better effect. You can. <laughs> best fisherman can catch them off a floating wooden log if they need to. I like it. Um, for me. Actually, that would suck. There's going to be a lot of people on logs tomorrow morning. Thanks. Um, Pedal drive logs. You can buy them here. <laughs> handmade. And constructed. Um, I like the uh, the pedal drive kayaks. It's also what I really, you know, developed my angling skills. And I've been on a lot of different kayaks, and I've been on a lot of different pedal drive kayaks. It's funny how I gravitate towards the one I really sunk my teeth in on, though. Yeah. And I still, all these years later, I've been on the Hobie Outback since 2011. So it's 2019 now, and I'm still on that same boat. Um, and I've used other boats and liked them and have even owned other boats for other purposes. Uh, but that still ends up being what I gravitate back to at the end of the day. Um, but that being said, there's plenty of amazing anglers on paddle kayaks. Amazing. And a lot of guys who really kicked that sport off started on paddle kayaks. It's like the ocean kayak guys, the wilderness guys, um, they did more to really get the, the sport going and, and showed what could be done on a kayak long before the pedal guys jumped in on it um so you know credits do where credits do between the this region of the country the chesapeake bay guys there was a couple guys up north doing it yeah so um yeah the pedal kayak i do think the pedal kayak is the most advantageous for the type of fishing i do which is a lot of it's jigging related stuff um but as a speed platform i think a pedal a paddle kayak is definitely probably the more superior speed platform really and I also think as an ocean fishing platform, the, the paddle kayaks, you can still make a pretty good ag- argument that a paddle kayak can be better as the the ocean fishing uh, platform. I, I can still see that argument being pretty good. I think in the jigging, like the flounder, or sheep's head, and uh, toe tog, where I came from, uh, redfish, a lot of striper applications, you can really say why the pedal kayak is might be the... Kind of holding yourself in an area a little better. Yeah, the, just the multitasking aspect, especially in current when we're fishing yeah. rips, stuff like that. So in a, in a practical fishing sense, when you're fishing in heavy current too, the pedal kayak system, is uh, it'll outweigh the paddle kayak, especially uh, if you, you're know, fishing in an area of two-knot current where you really, the current's pumping good and you really got to maximize your efficiency of that rod in your hand the minute you, you, you stop, you have to drop the jig down to hit bottom, uh, whether it be redfish or striper, for example. And if you, you didn't time everything perfectly, you missed your strike zone opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I remember talking to you about that just on the boat and how important it was and setting up when we were fishing my boat yeah. and, and drifting over the on those near shore wrecks, which is something that I, I have so much desire to learn how to do, but, but I'm not very good at it just because I don't spend much time doing it. And so that was real cool to see. And talk to Elias about like how he reads his GPS. I think we're going to jump more into that. One question I had that's kind of dealing with that is when you're inshore, like sheepshead fishing, are you anchoring? Are you are you kind of still using that pedal drive and holding yourself? In yeah, I try to, you know, minimize my momentum. Yeah, um, that's a good thing about pedal drive systems too. Is uh, I don't think I ever drop anchor. I've, there's been a handful of times I dropped an anchor on yeah. that kayak over the years, but 
probably count them on one hand how many times I've anchored up. Um, if you got current that's pretty mild, yeah, you can absolutely use these pedal drive systems to, to work it. And just like a trolling motor, you can fish spots really quick. You can, yeah. you know, drop your bait down or jig down and boom, you know, no need to set up anchor, etc. Um, so it, it has that advantage too. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, you guys, if y'all have any questions, I know we've had some and we're going to jump into them, but um, just shoot them over on Facebook and, and we'll, we'll kind of answer those questions as they come in. Yeah, so I'll, I'll uh, do a little bit of Facebook uh, yeah, let's see Facebook it. comments here. There's a couple of trolls on there I want to address. I always love those guys. Of course. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> no, I think they're super fans. I'm going to get to one of them here in just a second. Um, so, yeah, people are saying, hey, looking forward to it. Uh, watching from Greensboro. Thank you for watching Durham, North Carolina. Wilmington, obviously. So that's awesome. I got a couple of offshore questions for you, too. We'll go back up to. But, but do you know anyone named Susan Winicky? No. Uh, she's like a super fan. She said, don't let that dude ask another question. He has never seen Elias V videos. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Susan, here's your 15 minutes of fame because this is our show, baby. <laughs> that's why we have him on here. Susan, thanks for joining. And if you have better questions, please leave them in the comments because that's what we like to do is uh, is have people on here. So I just wanted to shout out to her. Zach Kirby I says, like killing the game with that Mastodon shirt right there. So Zach Kirby's <laughs> a big fan. Uh, also a friend of yours and kayak fisherman as well. So let's uh, let's go back up here and ask one question here. Uh, it says Elias, wondering what conditions you look for before going offshore, new to this area, and wanting to go offshore soon. Kind of talked about that a little bit, I guess, as far as like weather conditions. But yeah, you better be prepared to roll your kayak a lot. <laughs> Surf. <laughs> My best advice is don't roll on the sandbar. Oh gosh, <laughs> roll on the shore break. <laughs> The sandbar sucks. The thing here that's tough too, and it's worth talking about, is um, beach replenishment and surf launching. Um, these beaches change a lot. Yeah. So it's like I was like, oh, there's a nice trough there, and then three weeks later, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and like the beaches. Uh, last year we had the Hurricane Florence, so it set up the beaches from after Hurricane Florence. Uh, I'd say October, November, December, the beaches kind of stayed the same after the sand yeah. got pushed into that. And right now, post-beach replenishment, which was like April, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did the beach replenishment, super flat, right? Then out of nowhere, these sandbars formed. <laughs> and off the sand, on the sandbar, it's two feet of water. Other side of the sandbar, it's eight feet of water towards the shore. <laughs> it's eight feet of water. And one day we were coming back in, and the sandbar was curling, the outer, the first sand, the sandbar, and I knew on the other side of the sandbar, it's eight feet of water. It's like, well, we could just swim it in, you know, as usual, if that's really, or just, you know, it's only a couple feet. And as soon as I pull up to the sandbar, there's an eight foot freaking, I don't know. Huge swell. No, shark. A shark. I'm like, man, that's a terrible <laughs> feeling. Just like, where we're like, well, we could swim it in, I guess. You know, there's always that option. And then it's like middle of summer, eight foot shark, man. If I fell in after seeing that thing, I was just like... Be freaking out. It's just this mental thing of seeing the shark and then being in the water. It's like... <laughs> anyway, brawl on the beach, not the sandbar. I but like always it. practice, man. Um, kayak fishing in the ocean is an expensive game. Um, every time you leash stuff down, the leash can break. You never know. stuff. So you're strapping of... everything down. This is like a newbie question for me. So I put all my rods in my front hatch. Okay. If I have that 
feeling like today's going to be the day. So you can get them fit all yeah, the way into I your kayak. Scoot okay. in. you, it's, it takes some practice to scoot up into the front of your kayak to do that. Uh, at least the Hobies, all the Hobies I've owned can do that. And that's both the Hobie Revolution and the Hobie Outback. You can okay. get into the, the front hatch, put the rods in, that's put awesome. all my reels in a dry bag. Um, a fish finder, I've learned that sometimes when I roll in the surf and I take it off, the sand gets in the connectors. That's even worse than rolling with the fish finder. Because <laughs> then I found that rolling with the fish finder, some can handle a little bit of saltwater submersion. Yeah. But if you get sand in those connectors, it's it. It's, it's like, done. Like, oh, yeah. Between the dielectric grease and the sand, it's over. Yeah. That's what I've kind of learned. That's good information right there. Because um, I would definitely be rolling my kayak in the, in the surf. Right. And I've <laughs> taken enough dump, dunkings between the t- of leaving the fish finder on and taking it off. Yeah. Um, always get out of the way of the kayak i always you know yeah these kayaks are heavy these fishing kayaks are 80 pounds you get in between that thing that thing will break Knock the bone if you if you let it and i can't even imagine a head impact um generally when i get out of the kayak um i get out and get behind it yeah unless the waves are small enough i can grab the bow but if i feel like there's any sort of thing it's like get out let the wave push on onto the shore i always get out and as soon as i can get out and walk out you know usually waist deep something like that yeah I'm out. <laughs> out of the kayak. Yeah. Do you ever look at it and you're like, all right, everything's strapped down good. These waves look pretty surfable. I'm going to try to catch one and ride it up. So usually um, the days I'm more cautious are the less likely I'm going to roll. That's the days I prepare to roll. Yeah. And then the days you get overconfident because your confidence starts building throughout the season. You know, maybe you roll five times a year tops or something like that. And it's that calm day. Or something just stupid happens. Like you either you're hopping out of the kayak. I mean, I've had every dumb thing catch me on my kayak. We have like a handle on our hatches, uh-huh. and it's like a little shaped like a letter T. Yeah. And it folds up and down. I've had I, I closed the hatch, but I left the handle facing up. So when I went to hopping out of the kayak, caught my pants uh-huh. and flipped the kayak. <laughs> had that. Um, you That's name it. I just everything has flipped the kayak at one point. I think I've experienced every potential way to flip a kayak in the surf zone at this point um usually these fishing kayaks are not good at surfing in um you get turned sideways they're too heavy you, yeah. you can't do anything so it's uh, roll it. if you, the minute if i feel like i mistimed it even like at that point of like okay i'm doomed i'm out of it yeah that's usually what unless i'm on that sandbar with the shark <laughs> then yeah then you're trying to stay in there as best as you can <laughs> Oh man, it seems like there's lots of sandbars with sharks around here now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, all right. So, do you got any more Facebook questions you want to jump into, Billy? Uh, no, I don't think so, man. But uh, here's a, a guy named Sam. He says, uh, "Tsunami Sam here, Elias. Great kind heart, great fisherman. So cool. super I don't know nice. If I'm a friend of yours or not? But I want to say hello. It looks like a, a lot of people from New York are watching. So got some fans from New York. So appreciate you guys tuning in once again. If you are watching live here, just make sure you leave. Uh, questions in the comments if you have any we'll try to get to them as quick as we can i think uh i get the comments definitely (laughs) (laughs) all right dude let's get (laughs) definitely let's definitely get into more fishing questions yeah let's get into some fishing questions here so elias is i mean i've already learned just kind of a legend in the jigging aspect of of fishing and i just fished with him for a few hours and and learned a lot from you but i kind of wanted to i put a whole section in here in our little run sheet just to talk about jigging with you because it feels like like yeah it seems like that's what you really like to do and and you're really good at it so um let's see here how does vertical jigging translate like species to species like you were talking about when you went up and fished in new york question yeah yeah yeah. 
That is. Um, I'd say there's probably very few fish you can't catch vertically jigging. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to like targeting different types of fish, the easiest way to, to kind of figure out their habits is the shape of their tail. You know, like the it. fork tail guys are more likely to be mid-water calm, fast-moving, more high up in the water calm, fast-moving fish. Broom tails tend to be more bottom-oriented. Mm-hmm. So that means you're, you know, it doesn't mean your broom tails aren't going to be on the top. And what right. I mean by broom tails is species that don't have that flat uh, fork tail. So we'll talk about it. speckled trout, weak fish. Yeah. Um, uh, I red consider fish. I, red fish. I consider striper to be a bottom fish, even though the obsession is to catch them up top. Yeah. I'd say you learn how to catch them on the bottom first. You're knocked out more of the important, the harder right. part of catching them. Your everyday fishing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the striper fishing I'd done was mostly lower third of the water cone. Yeah. Uh, your flounders, uh, broomtail stuff. And then you get your, you know, your more fork tails, your, your blue fishes, your tr- freshwater trouts, lake trout, brown trout, yeah. salmons. Um, so that kind of determines uh, their typical habits of uh, speed. Are they likely to hit midwater calm on retrieves uh, and different cadences of how you're going to work them? Um, a lot of it comes down to uh, there's a lot of universal lures mm-hmm. out there. Um, you can use probably a metal jig or a soft plastic lure to fish anywhere in the water calm. Yeah. Um, a lot of these times, especially here with the big, I call it high biodiversity, low biomass fishing here. You go out here and there's anything you can catch, but it's not reliable. Right, right. <laughs> That's what it feels like some days. It I does. come out here. I've got no idea what I'm going to catch. And it's like, oh, that was great. I caught that fish. And then I never catch that fish again. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a lot of it comes to the techniques of, you know, working the proper structures with proper jig sizes. Uh, it's like I can, you can write books on this sort of stuff. Um, if you're new to fishing and just learning how to getting really down into the jig, jig world, first thing to do is go out, spend a hundred dollars on jig heads. I know I'm talking like crazy stuff, but buy jig heads ranging from a quarter ounce all the way up to an ounce and a half. Yeah. You're going to cover most of the needs to get really familiar and dialed in with this this vertical jigging game and all these jig head sizes will uh, help you adapt based on different depths and currents and man i could jig with 40 and 40 feet with a half ounce in one spot go to a different spot it's three quarter ounce with 40 feet another one's an ounce and i a lot of it is spending time and learning it but over here i already know in less than a season generally what jig head size i need to get out there and off the bat will be the one that I'm going to jig with. And occasionally there's a variance or two, but overall, you know, this spot requires a three quarter ounce jig, six out of seven days. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that seems to be the, the size that I'm comfortably coming in contact with the bottom or I'm working middle water column properly with. Um, and then this other spot, you know, down the road that is in the same depth, but seems like one ounce, uh, because either there's more current or just more cross currents. Um, and every body of water has their own affiliations. Um, here we have the Cape Fear River that does weird things up and down Oak Island, um, which throws crazy tide lines down that beach yeah. over there. And that reminds me similar to the environment I came from, which was New York Harbor, um, where we had Staten Island and you had uh, Coney Island. And they do th- their own things based on the currents coming out from that Hudson River, which is kind of similar 
it's a similar estuary. Um, the biggest difference is the Cape Fear dumps directly into the ocean. Um, New York Harbor had the Hudson River dump into a small bay, which dumps directly into the ocean. So they have some similar current uh, patterns. So uh, a lot of it comes into, at the end of the day, putting time in on the water with that stuff, though. So one thing that's kind of been a trend almost on every show when we start talking about weight of what you fish is everyone seems to say, and I agree with this as well, but the lightest that you can fish and still be on the bottom, is that what you kind of Yeah, that's like generally that? a good rule of thumb. If you can get away with the lightest jig head possible um, and still maintain certain species don't care as much, Yeah, if you ask me. I would say flounder is the least sensitive. You can overkill the size of your jig. It is okay if it's dredging and dragging the bottom, they'll still eat it. Flounder, I wouldn't say it's okay, but it's the most You can get away with it. Gotcha. Species like striped bass, man, especially the bigger ones and the, the, the larger stripers, those quarter ounce increments. Really? Can, especially when you're fishing in current, you know, you start pounding like a rock, thudding along the bottom. No, you're not going to catch them. And then you make those slight incremental changes where you're just slightly tapping. It makes a difference. Gray trout's another one, too. I've noticed that. You know, you, you overkill the, the, the size of the jig head, you're not going to catch. Or flounder, flounder tends to be a little more forgiving. Bluefish tends to be a little more forgiving. Um, but uh, certain species are really, uh, especially those freshwater trouts, yeah. least forgiving. Least forgiving? <laughs> In my opinion, yeah. You go a quarter ounce too heavy, a half ounce too heavy, they won't hit anything. Really? Yeah. Lake oh, trout. that's what frustrates me with that kind of fishing is I'm like, am I doing this right? Is this the exact? And I've been schooled too. I've been yeah. like, I've, I've been schooled by guys like I, like I used to walk into like, I fish three quarter ounces at the spot. Somebody rolls in with three A's and mops it up with me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. And I never even thought like I should have fished that. Why did I never try three eighths? Right. Right. And it, it was like, it always felt like three quarter ounce felt right. A lot of this is hard on, on, uh, areas with wrecks or high relief. Yeah. Um, especially as you're, you know, coming over with current. Um, and this always took a long time for me to learn. Uh, I'm fishing a, let's say I'm fishing a rack or a ledge and you've got a one knot current pushing you over and you start your drift in 40 feet. You know, that relief comes up to, I don't know, let's say 25. Um, and there's plenty of sp spots in the coast that fished like this, that you have your high relief and then you'll have the drop back down into 40 feet. And it's like, how do you jig when there's current pushing you? And I'm, it's 40 feet. I'm trying to use a three-quarter ounce jig, and there's a one-knot current. Then I got the eddy from the wreck forming. Right. And it's like all this swirly water. And it's like uh, uh, the, the minute the line starts scoping, you know you're touching the wreck. you got to take a crank up and reel up real fast because there's a sharp relief. <laughs> there's a lot of like a lot of thinking involved about uh, how that plays out when you're actually on the water doing it because – you know, you're, you're bouncing your jig along in 40 feet, hitting bottom, maintaining contact. Those stripers are on the top of that wreck, right? And then they're five feet above the, the actual high part of the wreck. Yeah. So you got a, a wreck in 40 feet that comes up to 25 feet. The stripers are suspended in 20. The, the only way you'll catch them is if you naturally start your drift over in 40 and work through that whole ledge and presenting that jig back to them in 20. Golly. And it's like stuff like this. And while trying to do this, you know, if you went with the one ounce jig, it's too heavy. Um, the, the, the three eighths ounce was the one to use for that yeah. stuff. So stuff like that, you, you're going to spend a lot of money on jigs first, <laughs> snagging them into wrecks. And then, but you're going to, you'll, you'll slowly piece it together. It's always good to see someone else catch something first for on sure. live bait. 
they'll see him catch it on live bait. And you're like, all right, they're they're like, right now I don't want to catch him on a jig. I've seen somebody catch it with a, a live bait. So would you say for someone who's going out there for the first time on a kayak, would it be important to maybe just make yourself make some drifts with different jigs? Even if you just caught one on this jig, sure, like yeah. maybe switch it up to a lighter Man, or heavier just to learn. And that's one of those things too. Like I learned here, I was a, as, in terms of flounder, I was a gulp fanatic. Yeah. I remember you telling me this. Yeah. And one of my buddies uh, put on a clinic out there, redfish fishing uh, on one of the structures here. And I always use gulp, gulp, gulp for five. I've caught three flounder over 10 pounds on gulp over the years. And then um, he was mopping them up on Procure. When I moved here to North Carolina, uh, the gulp formula I used up north, I caught fish on gulp here. I definitely did. And I, I had some pretty good days here on gulp. Um, but the certain interference fish here sometimes made gulp, fishing with gulp impossible, flat yeah. out impossible. Way more trash fish here, would you say? Yeah, yeah I was going to say that's a I really... Wanted to, I wanted to bring a, a diagram of the trash fish of, of the south versus the trash fish of the north <laughs> and explain the differences. Okay. I like it. <laughs> because we had uh, sea robins and, and porgy. Porgy is basically pinfish. Okay. I would say that. Sea robin uh, is if basically if oyster toadfish and lizard fish, like... <laughs> combine their strengths <laughs> sounds like a very annoying fish the sea yeah. robins are really annoying but because they got huge mouths yeah they live on sand and they'll be on structure sometimes uh and they'll hit big profiles too really yeah so um but how big are the sea robins you're talking about there they'll get it up to really 17 inches 18 that's crazy inches. Jeez, but um the i've caught with, them here but never that big the thing with sea robins is too um they don't have teeth so they don't tear up the stuff okay. like toads and lizards do not, awesome. They're not as deadly to your your lures. Lizards and toads are way more deadly. Way more deadly. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I just like that word interference. That was probably the sweetest thing I've ever heard toward trash fish. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> when you said the interference fish. Interference. I like that. I got to use so, that one. Then, so the newest trick I learned this year was the Procure stuff, which yeah. is a, a big thing locally here and oh, in yeah. other southern states too. And maybe there's a couple guys using it up north, but like, it was not a thing and there's a lot of environments looking back now i wish you'd had pro gear up north yeah i was like why did i never try that for flounder in like xyz spots where i do tight drifts on wrecks and ledges for those big flounder up there while those were like also high biodiversity areas that were surrounded by scup which are the pinfish and sea robins but at the same time if i had that those bigger meteor profiles globbed up in procure i would have probably caught so a scent when you're flounder fishing near shore is that something you're all, you're always going to have some type of scent on that bait i think i'm pretty much sold on, sold that on scent, the okay. scent aspect of it and that i think that really helped um launch gulp yeah you know, it was the was the big deal for gulp i remember when gulp kind of came out and then we're talking 2010 ish i mean at least took off it might have been out you know before that and we had just two choices back and we had the swimming mullet and we had the shrimp yeah. Right. And then um, now there's a million. Now there's a million golf <laughs> choices, but we had just swimming mullet and shrimp. I remember, and yeah, it was the, that that hot thing that and it worked, and everyone basically determined it was scent based. It wasn't the action of those lures for sure. No, because the shrimp does nothing. It's like a stick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was the scent of those lures. So I'm a hundred percent convinced scent is what does. And you can catch flounder without scent for sure. They'll they'll hit non scented lures all the time, but you know they, they I'm sure they have a combination of hunting strategies just like 
a lot of these other fish do. Yeah, certainly. Well, here's a question. We're going to kind of jump into this. Roger Jones said, when you're fishing in shore for sheeps, mm-hmm. um, meaning sheep's head, sheep's head, not actual sheep, <laughs> um, and you're not fishing docks, what other structure are you looking for? Um, docks or bri- – well, he didn't say bridges, so maybe bridges you're looking for. Bridges, obviously. Wrecks. Every wreck holds sheep, probably, I would say. Uh, ocean wrecks here. Um, any wreck with high relief. Okay. Uh, in Florida, you catch them under the mangroves. <laughs> yeah. You know, catch sheep's head under the mangroves. Here I've seen them cruising through oysters. Yeah. And I've they never hooked eat. those. I'll no. never hook those. And I've just seen them, like, darting along, like, six to eight-pound sheep just hanging out in oyster beds. And they're so spooky when you crawl up on them. So spooky. So, but that gives you an idea of their natural environments. So I always say the easiest sheep set is to catch is the one where you can't scare them. Right, in deeper water. So in deeper water. So a lot of these oyster drop-offs might have like 15 feet of water. I could think of like five I've stumbled upon over here that it's like oysters, oysters, oysters. Yeah. And it's 15 feet instantly. That's a good spot to look. Um, and you'll probably want to work the area, you know, I'd say five to 15 feet down would probably be your, your best bet. Um, yeah, any of that stuff. So, and underwater rocks, of course, I would say the best bet for the quality sheep that's always the wreck. The wreck. Yeah. yeah. My opinion. The bridges sure. are good too. And the bridges. Yeah. The docks. I've Jetty. Jetties. Yeah. Jetties are tough pretty... to fish a lot of times. I feel like See, at least the for me. That sometimes get real shallow up on these jetties and on the kayak, it gets kind of sketchy. If you yeah. really want to get into five feet yeah. of water onto these jetties with the kayak, it's like, man, one, one wrong wave. I'm on this. Jetty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so stuff like that. But yeah, those are their, their best environments. Billy, you got any questions there? You want to fire off anything on, on Facebook or that, that you've kind of come up with? Yeah, man. Let me see here. I, I, kind of way off well not way off topic i guess uh some people want to know if you're gonna do some tuna fishing from the yak <laughs> i don't know how far out you have to go to get a tuna but uh, not there's an opportunity yeah. uh, to do that um it's one of those things i'm never gonna i don't think i'm gonna like really gonna get, get too crazy out of my way to really chase down that unicorn um it might be an outer bank deal there yeah I, i've uh, i've seen them off sandy hook in New Jersey in the fall, they used to get, I'd say it was like 2011, 2012, 2013, the bluefin tuna. They used to be sand eels. And it was a, a long, skinny bait. I haven't seen them here. They're a long, skinny bait. And in the fall, they used to get some heavy runs. And those bluefin tuna would be three miles off the beach. But, wow. And they show up here off the beach, too. You think you could You think you think could catch one on a kayak? Has it been done? It's been done, yeah. It's been done. Uh, it's been sure. done How do you yeah. stop? How do you stop a bluefin with a kayak? Uh, guys do it, man. Pedal drive, baby. Reverse. <laughs> Uh, that's like a true fight right there i mean it's either of y'all might be fighting to that that's crazy it's it's one of those things you can do but you know it's uh um, let's start with the cobia yeah i like it i like it uh, do, sp- okay so here's one from cliff uh speaking of procure do you use different scent for different species or you just kind of i just grabbed the menhaden man that was the Manhattan, first one i grabbed can... and i'm like i'm a menhaden dude at heart i like it menhaden is... i like it <laughs> that bunker oil, whatever you want to call pogies, that's the universal bait up and down the coast, man. And it's also the stinkiest. <laughs> it does stink for sure. I like. Awesome, I use that Menhaden a lot as well. I've bought the others, but I mean, I think they all work. Really, I think they but... all work to some extent, but something about Menhaden is like it's stinky, and and you see more of a slick off your bait yeah, too when you use that. True. Yeah, it doesn't have any like that that you know that licorice smell like the other oh, yeah. ones do or like garlic. No, this is just stinky. Yeah, old. sometimes yeah. when I'm out there with the shrimp, I'm like, 
And this isn't that bad. I'm a little hungry. Nah, I'm I like, just had some peanut butter right now. Nah, I think the Menhaden's that has that right smell. <laughs> um, we had one more question here. Then we're gonna jump back into the what, some of the stuff we had written down. But have you ever targeted Pompano from your from your uh, kayak? I've got a couple in Florida, not here. Um, and all the other the ones I've gotten in Florida were kind of just bycatch jigging with gulp. Okay. Um, it's something that's interesting though. It's a good question that person asked, like, um, how to really effectively have you caught many from the boat? A handful, right? It's like I'll be down off of Carolina Beach or Fort Fisher and and stumble into schools of them, and then I'll start catching them. And when you get in those schools, they're super aggressive. I mean, you can really get them to eat most anything that's small enough for them to eat. But I, I'm not I'm not good at targeting them by any means. Yeah, and I'm sure there there is like and another one we could always say about like I don't want to get off Pompano. Spade fish is another one that it's like man, it's like you really got to narrow down on a very specific tactic to catch them. And I feel like Pompano is probably like that too. And I'm sure there's some areas that on the kayak you can get in on them. And to me, the places that probably are prime for them are the inlets. Yeah, definitely. I would say the inlets are probably the prime pompano grounds to catch them from a kayak. Um, it's something I should really look into because it's, you know, it's fun. It's good eating. It's probably not that difficult. To they're strong, too. They're fun they, fish to Oh, catch. yeah. They're fork tail, you know, yeah. mini jacks. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. I've only caught a couple... Um, just jigging with small gulps for other species and they've been bycatch so okay awesome all right man so well let's get into let's talk about so we've talked about a little bit of jigging we've talked to you know a little bit uh, uh about a couple other things some inshore kind of back and forth let's talk about trolling and casting so you know i i watched some of your videos um you know, before, oh, hold on a second. I'm sorry, man. I'm like all over the place here doing multi cam. So I do, I, I got one of the best YouTubers, fishing YouTubers in this studio, and I'm over here just blasting out random shots here. But let's talk about trolling a little bit. I know, you know, I watched some of your videos and you're, you're kind of on your way to your spot and then, but you're trolling a lot. Tell us a little bit about your strategy, like, right? I mean, I guess, are you like targeting stuff? Are you looking for, blow ups on the water and going after it or you just I usually troll to get to my areas I want to jig. Um, okay. I, the exception of that has been, you know, like getting that crossing that off the list is I guess that window in the spring. And I'm sure I'll do it again in the fall is for the King mackerel where I'll probably take the kayak and exclusively, and I've only had limited success, uh, kayak King mackerel. I got two this year. Um, one trolling lures and one on live bait. That was a decent fish. So the king mackerel is like the the one that I'd say, okay, I'm, I'm committed to trolling. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's you know uh, one of those fish. The other the other stuff is typically I'll troll to get to an area I want to jig. That's what I like to do. Um, trolling is a good way to to though, understand a lot of fish's habits. Um, trolling for stripers. Um, trolling for Spanish mackerel, trolling for, even for false albacore, which I feel is kind of like a sin. The guys who troll for false albacore, <laughs> but I've seen it. Um, it's a fish you don't eat, and then you're trolling for it. Okay, but um, so, casting for it makes it so much more okay, almost. Actually, one of the biggest challenges uh, with the kayak and trolling for a lot of these ocean species too is you can't go fast enough. Mm-hmm. I noticed that's yeah. a problem I have with king mackerel. Really? Um, at least artificials. Okay. And the other one's barracuda. A lot of times when these barracudas smash my lures, I'm not, my line is like, I, I break off at the braid yeah. because the line was never had an opportunity to get tight because the braid, like he swam at me so fast. Yeah. <laughs> it took like everything. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like breaking me off at the rod tip half the time. <laughs> it's like one crank. I have no, yeah. no braided line. So, um, 
So you have to ask me, like, what's the, I mean, in general, if you, you threw me on a random place in this planet, gave me my kayak and said troll to find something, I would say, okay, give me a five-foot diving plug and a 15-foot diving plug. Two rods. And that's, oh, I think a lot of boat guys do the same thing when they're feeling out these bites, especially on these near shores. Where are they in the water column? Yeah, that's always the hardest thing to figure out. If you don't see them on top, all right, then it's like the, the head scratching. All right, give me 30 feet down, 10 feet down, 15 feet down. And you go to a lot of these places on the coast where trolling is the game. That's why guys have six freaking things with planer boards. Right. You, you'll see it, guys fishing for trout in freshwater, six planer boards, <laughs> stripers in the Chesapeake, over here near shore. Yeah. Just everything is just like detecting where they're at in the water column. Then you can kind of focus in on it. For sure. Um, one question that I want to dive into as well was, was kind of talking about the importance. And I want to get back into the trolling thing, but I think this is going to play into both of these and it'll be good to go over beforehand, but the importance of like a GPS and a graph and being able to read the bottom and, and, and and figure out your location on a kayak. And so uh, after I've found like the structures I like to fish. Yeah. I think the GPS is more important to me than actually the, the fish finder side okay. of it. Watching uh, your drift, maybe? Yeah, watching my drift and seeing where I haven't fished. Okay. Seeing where the lines... I mean, you look at a lot of my videos. If you look at my fish finder, it's just black <laughs> from my from my every corner I've fished and dropped jigs on. Um, and there's been times where my, I've had so much sand on my transducer and stuck on the the transducer i don't even have a working fish finder for the day <laughs> but thankfully these are areas i've been to that i just have my gps yeah uh, number two i'm like all right all i gotta do is hit number two and you know i have the, like a lot of my structures i have the starting point the ending point of the structure so i have both of the starting or the ending point and i'll literally make a perimeter of that structure and waypoints really so i have like literally if it's a, a wreck You'll see on my my fish finder GPS. I've literally almost outlined the entire perimeter like that. with waypoints, so I don't have to guess. Is there still some structure here? I've almost made it like looks like Battleship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's, that's cool. I like that though. So yeah, if you, you don't have to even worry about it. You're like, all right, if I'm in this zone, I know I'm drifting the structure yeah. that I want to. Um, so that's to me GPS. That's why I don't mess with side scan that much. My my screen is kind of too small. And you need a big that, screen for that. Yeah, and side scan is fun and useful, but to throw side scan and play with that to, to sacrifice the GPS, to me, side scan is hard to read when I have my GPS with my side scan. You need two units. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. um, that's why I always just gravitate towards going with the GPS and the yeah. regular, because um, I'm more concerned about where I am. Yeah. In relation to that drift, is it an area I haven't fished yet on this you know particular structure? Uh, have I not jigged here yet, or do I have to get back? Sometimes, like you know, I'm catching fish in an area this big, probably like the size of this couch. Is yeah. like that's where the fish are. I'm off on the couch. They're, They're not on the floor. Standing. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and that you know that the GPS to me, and I zoom when I'm really like, man, I, you can get na- I get nauseous some days looking at my little thing doing the circles around the. Structure because just staring at that jigging, and you jerking. don't even need a fancy fish finder, man. I finally got a fancy fish finder like a year ago because they didn't they stopped making non fancy fish finders. I had very basic units for a very long time and really 
liked fishing with basic units because basic units were typically tougher in saltwater environments. Yeah. So I was fishing on black and white units for five years. Everyone's like, oh, I got the latest and greatest. And man, those black and white units, they used to have such good GPSs. They were so responsive. They didn't do that circle where you're like, you're going to puke if you like stare at the screen for right. too long. They didn't overheat. They didn't do all these new things that all these new units do, at least my units. Um, so yeah, GPS to me is king. How a question that I'm always wondering myself is like, if, if I see structure, like, all right, I know I've caught fish here before, or maybe this is a new spot that I'm fishing for flounder here. How, how important is it? Like how close are you fishing to that structure? When are you too far away from it? So here's to where you're setting funny. up for a new drift. Here's what's funny. A lot of the times my, my fish finder will d display the nastiest structure ever. And you, you, if you look at it and be like, no, 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 you don't drop there. Yeah. But you know what it is? A lot of times, maybe I started a couple of feet away from it, and I'm still jigging, jigging, jigging. And I, I look at the screen like, oh, I'm doomed. Like, I'm going to snag any second now. That's when the flounder hits. He probably followed it off the sand and took the time to actually, this is his last opportunity to and strike he's eat it then. my bait yeah. before I'm in the structure where i got to, you know, rise up to the structure. So a lot of times when I'm hooking flounder, and this happened to me up, you know, when I was fishing for a summer flounder fluke up north, and I was fishing on structure too. I'm looking at my screen like, oh boy, like I'm going to snag like yeah. any bounce now. It's like instant snag. And a lot of times, boom, the flounder would hit it there. And then a lot of times I'd be like, oh, let me get right on that structure. That's where I hook it. No, you just drop right into the snag. Yeah. So it's like you got to set your, 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 your perimeter of like, oh, I, I probably grabbed his attention on the sand that was a couple of feet away. And he took his time to come and hit it. And then when you look at the screen – that was probably that fish's last opportunity to hit your your jig before it's too late for that because flounder don't live, don't like scooting around wrecks really they, right, they right. do they can but they're primarily going to sit on the outlying sand of that structure for sure so but like yeah it's funny how you if you would look at my screen and be like oh that's just that's just rebarb right right <laughs> it's just anchors down there yeah but, would you say that they're they're usually sitting on like current wise are they usually sitting on the down current side of a rack or can they be sitting all over it um i find that the the down currents tip if the current's strong the gray trout or weak fish and the flounder always like to be on the down current okay. side stripers and redfish can typically be on the up current actually usually prefer the up current side i'd say redfish is either one redfish to me is i don't understand them some days <laughs> um stripers me too are, stripers are always typically on the up current side okay if you'd ask i me. like it um i always find them on the up current and the blue fish also like to be on the up current side a lot too the bigger okay. blues um but flounder the current's less than a knot i would say it's any game any it's game. on the sides um when you really have a fast current they'll tend to be on the down current side are they spreading out or are those fish wanting to sit pretty tight with each other um it depends so one of the biggest differences i feel between summer flounder which most people call fluke when you get past uh, New Jersey, but you know, summer flounder, Maryland, etc., and the southern flounders. Um, I find the summer flounder can be a, we call it like a bait oriented bite, which I haven't seen too much here. That if you got like squid or a lot of small baits on the bottom, you'll find these fish just free cruising on sand. Okay. That's the summer flounder, and they would like uh, you can just do long drifts down the beach. You know, nice wind push you along the beach, work those jigs for a mile. Pick one here and there, one in there and there, pick some trash fish. But yeah. you can do these long drift bites. Um, we used to have a spot uh, called Ambrose Channel, which was the mouth of the Hudson River. 
which is very similar channel and drift uh, structure to the Cape Fear River. Okay. So, like, imagine drift doing a long drift down that whole Cape Fear channel, which is booking two knots. And yeah. we used to, there, if there was bait on the bottom of that channel, we would find the summer flounder on the bottom of that channel. And if, if there was bait. So, imagine just drifting down that Cape Fear River channel you know, for five miles with a 12 ounce sinker. Just that's what we used to do. Like a 12 ounce sinker. Oh my goodness. 40 feet of water, big long strip baits. And that we used to do flounder fishing like that too. So they have some similar patterns, um, but they would set up on the structures too. Like okay. they do here, um, uh, be very structure oriented fish. Um, what's the big difference between the summer flounder and the Southerns? Um, the marsh bite. They were we didn't, I, at least I never had like that marsh bite of, uh, Marsh by being shallower water. Shallow yeah. water, you know, sod bank stuff, oysters, uh, the flounder. Uh, there were usually, you know, occasionally. If there was bait, we would find them in that, that kind of environment. But they wouldn't just sit there like, all right, this is my oyster bank. This is my home for the, right, for the right. tide. Mm, not too often. Yeah. So. And you talked a lot about structure, and you talked a lot about kind of the fear of getting, like, t tangled up or snagged up. Like, <laughs> what kind of gear are you using to combat that situation? Like, what are you what have you found to be the most successful to because you know I, I i talked to some guys that, that fish offshore fish wrecks and they're like dude it's just part of the hustle like of, of getting those fish out of those wrecks like they'll they'll just like you know yeah, the flounder stuff gonna, right in there so flounder aren't gonna really do that you don't have to worry about a flounder ever uh pulling into a wreck no 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 <laughs> i'm talking about like getting fish off a wreck I'm talking like fishing. Like if, fishing around the wreck, yeah, not like lo losing your gear just yeah, for snagging. Like, yeah, 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 so, so like... Try to avoid snagging. See, over time, you, you learn the structures pretty quickly. I mean, I think over here... I've, so there's no like gear that you're like, oh man, I'm using this pound. Kind of know where the... Whatever, the, the whatever. You, gotcha. Uh, you, that's, that's you'll snag. You're supposed to snag, right? When I learned the structures around here, man, I was burning through tackle left and right. I think I fished three artificial reefs here pretty regularly on the kayak and i think i know by like the back of my hand every single structure now yeah. where the sticky part is where i'm not going to get snagged oh, so cool. i think yeah. every single structure here within the of those three artificial reefs more or less confident where i'm not going to get okay. snagged or like oh this is the spot like this is the, the brutal spot uh <laughs> where it's always snagged so that a lot of that goes into time of sacrificing jigs into your <laughs> have you ever tried to fish like is would you say maybe fish to guys fish a, a hook that maybe you could bend out on the wrecks or uh, i guess you just you're playing with fire with that stuff because yeah. you do this jigging and then you hook like that cobia where like you know where the yeah you and can I, I played with fire i hooked the cobia jigging flounder this spring on the kayak and i was only using 20 pound test and i was like oh it's fine for flounder and then i hooked the cobia and he got me on the way up yeah. and i he he, he he brushed me on the surface where you hook the red, you know, you yeah. hook that high 30 inch, low 40 inch red while you're flounder jigging and you got this little weak hook. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so it's like that compromise. It's more expensive. Yeah. The word, it sucks losing, <laughs> but then it's like, you start cutting corners and then like the day comes, it's like, man, I wish I had a real hook on that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so it's just part of the game. You're going to lose. Yeah, like, it's it, part of it. It's playing so frustrating. Fire. Either way, you're playing with fire. You want to save money? I get that too, man. I feel Buy some way. molds and pour your own chick heads, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Then, then the hook then it sucks. I would, honestly, that'd be more money probably. I'm just going to fish with a rope. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Um, all right. So the the last question I wanted to get into, I always say I like it so much. I don't know. That's my go-to phrase. That's good, man. Everybody's got their phrase. That's good. Um, I like it. 
I like it. Um, so the last question I wanted to, wanted to get into with the the GPS in mind is, I'm I'm pretty confident on looking at my graph. But like when I've talked to Elias, we t- we text a lot and we talk on the phone. He's like, "Man, I had to, I saw some redfish on my graph really well, and I I hooked some. Like, are you knowing the redfish because?" Because I'm always looking at redfish in like a foot of water, so I'm like, yeah. "That's a redfish." <laughs> looking yeah, at my graph, yeah. I'm like, "What the heck is that? Could, is it bait? How do you, how is it just time on the water?" I'm sure, but like, what can people look at to know? All right, I'm looking at redfish here, looking at flounder. Reds and black trump look the same on the screen, usually, okay. unless reds are. I've always, I, I've always seen reds on the bottom. Yeah, like, and <laughs> some of it's because I've seen the same structure so many times. So I'm like, oh, I know what that structure looks like on my screen. And then I see something extra on that. I'm like, that's yeah. got to be red. Right. And it usually is. Well, how do you tell it's not bait or redfish? Like uh, that's... It definitely, um, there's a certain like orientation that um, the reds will give off okay. uh, on your, your screen. And sometimes they won't feed. Sometimes they will. Sometimes they'll respond to bait. Um, like stripers to me mark really easy on that. You get the good arcs? Yeah. Gray trout to me are super, unless they're really tight to structure, but other than that, gray trout or weak fish, super easy to see on a graph. Speckled trout, super easy to okay. see on a graph. Um, even flounders, sometimes you'll see them coming up and chase when they're like following. Or toads, oyster toads too will show up. <laughs> you'll start to see like that this, when you're really watching closely and jigging, life comes out off the sand out of nowhere. And then, and then you get that hit and like, man, that was actually probably the flounder doing that flounder thing where he's like doing a, he's yeah. floundering around he's floundering around, around. Yeah. Like they, they probably picked it up and uh, you know <laughs> that's one of those a lot of times reds though man it's weird some days you mark a couple of them some days you're you're beating on them in deep water and you don't even you don't see a sign of them yeah. on the fish finder i've had that happen. that's why redfish i always scratch my head like um stripers it's always the same it's like i see them midwater calm or I see them off the bottom they're suspending they're you know doing that thing they're pretty easy to always see on the screen. And they're holding more so than a red probably would, too. I feel like reds them. are closer to bluefish than they are. They're stripers. cruising a lot more. In terms of their, their feeding habits, like that was one of, that's one of the mistakes I'm always making in shallow water here. As I approach redfish, sometimes too similarly like I approach striped bass. That like I'll have mild success on here, some creek mouth one day, catch one or two fish. And then for like the rest of the year, I'm like stopping at that creek mouth and not catching anything. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm spending too much time. Because right. I built that into my head that stripers are so much more creatures of habit than redfish can be sometimes. Uh, and then redfish might exhibit more similar patterns to bluefish that they might be more bait oriented and just, while stripers every day will be on the same rock or structure for you to catch them. The redfish sometimes do that too. They'll, they'll, they'll be frequently in certain areas, but... That's the, the mistake I always am walking into when I jump into shallow water redfish is like, I caught one fish here once. That means there'll always be a couple of fish there. Mm-mm. Right. It's, uh, that's definitely one of the curses. And they are creatures of habit in ways, but but definitely like in that deeper water, for sure, There's they'll be there one day and they can be gone the next day. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, that's it's the definitely... thing with stripers. Like you find a wreck that holds stripers or a rip, um, there's a good chance... Uh, it doesn't matter where on the coast it is. If it's a, uh, a spot that stripers consider home, Chesapeake Bay, Delaware Bay, Hudson River, or that is the spot that always produces stripers. That's awesome. That's a very nice uh, thing to have in your in your pocket when you know yeah, I can go catch a fish right here. Um, you got any questions, Billy? 
No, man. I'm, once again, I always get caught up while we're doing these uh, shows, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, I need to be asking some questions, interacting, but I'm just like learning so much. So I know. I love it. it. So much good information. Some, Ooh, tackling you, gear, we can kind of jump into that. Yeah, let's jump into it real quick. I mean, we're coming up on, on an hour and 15 minutes here, so we'll spend about 15 more minutes or so and, yeah. and, um, and just talk about a little bit about gear, a little bit about your kayak, rods, reels, you know, braided line, mono, like kind of can do some comparisons or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, go ahead, Judson. I'm, I'm looking through yeah. these questions. It seems like a lot of these have been answered, but we, we well, let's scroll through them too. Let's look at, so one of the things I wanted to talk about, especially cause I really like your baits, but, but your favorite baits for jigging like near shore, offshore, um, you want to kind of dive into Dude, why you've designed these and, um, that's my five and a half inch shad. And it's been something I've used for stripers primarily, uh, where I came from and designed for stripers. Um, over here, it's kind of my, you know, I'm used it the same way. It's yeah. like I catch a lot of redfish, overslot reds on these when I'm jigging near shore, and a lot of these big flounder. Yeah, around here on big big profiles, uh, these are pretty useless. That's uh, pretty dumb for me to say. Talking about my own product, <laughs> you will have limited success, real shallow water with this type of profile. Um, but a lot of the deeper water jigging, yeah, and all these, you know, the bigger profiles. It's probably what I start with most trips. Okay. Ninety percent of the time, is uh, let's say I'm running out there to fish magical land, magical <laughs> ocean land. Uh, one rod and reel is ready to go. Jigging structure, three quarter ounce jig probably, you know, anywhere up to fifty feet. I'm usually using three quarter ounce jig unless I got a lot of current. Um, and one of my shads, another rod probably has uh, a metal for a Spanish mackerel. Okay. Or any other you know fork tail. And then maybe the last rod is a live bait setup. And usually the, the, the setup that I have, that's going to be for Spanish mackerel. If I don't see any of that stuff up top, cut it off and make it a second jigging setup. Okay. And that's kind of usually how I roll out there in, in general. Um, right now I've got like five, six reels that I'm frequently using. I've got two Shimano Stratix, uh, both 3,000 size. And I think that's for anything inshore here, most mostly any done that, sorry. Uh, where I came from up north, that'll catch any fish probably unless you're in really heavy current and stripers. Um, over here, same deal. Almost any fish you can take down here unless you're in heavy current with structure. Mm -hmm. At least on a kayak. You know, a kayak, we have that advantage. You hook something that you're kind of overmatched with, you got a better shot because they're pulling you around with them too. That's a lot of extra yeah. weight of yeah. pulling. They're not fighting the, the reel, as j just the reel. Um, you know, that's why you notice sometimes the um seems like i always look at boats in the distance that they're hooking big reds seems like they're they're those fish take a lot more drag on the guys with the boats than they do with me okay um because i always end up fighting them straight up and down as opposed to out there right because right. they pull me to them yeah you're just staying <laughs> on top of them yeah and so you end up fighting them vertically a lot more especially that type of fish striper redfish you fight them vertically as opposed to just fighting you out there yeah. um so i've got two shimano stratix 15 pound test on both of those. I've got a Daiwa VG right now, uh, four, 3,000, 20 pound test on there. Uh, I've got two old Daiwa Saltis pre-level wine years. I used to use those on the headboats even. That's how old they are. Um, 30 pound braid on those. And maybe I got like one or two other spinners that are, okay. I got a spin fisher and a slammer. Nice. Spin fisher 2,500 also has 20 pound braid and I have a pen slammer, uh, 4,500 with 30 pound braid. So that kind of covers I don't think I've ever brought any spinning reel over 4,500 with me on the kayak. Okay. 
general. Yeah, people. I, I think people get get nervous and they, and they go overkill. I spent like I see on the big reds too, rods and reels and those big reds. A yeah, lot of times people go way heavier than you really need to. You can beat those fish on pretty light tackle. You do, but it's also you know it depends on the situation. If you're in structure, you want to be a little like I always get schooled on the barracudas because um, they do that thing where they they pull me to them. Yeah. Where I'm trying to run them down uh, because there's so much line. And then they take the fight vertical and they break me off every time. As soon as they take the fight vertical on me, I lose them. I could fight them high up, those those kudas. And a lot of these fish, fighting them high up on the water column is an ideal. But when they start pulling the kayak up to me, up to them, or like they start taking the fight vertical, that's when they get me. And I've, you know, if I ever hook AJs on the kayak in Florida somewhere, I know that's exactly how it's going to go down. The The minute I'm fighting them vertical, it's over. Yeah, it's uh, one thing that I've learned is the way that fish orient and, and fight based upon the way you're applying pressure to their face. And I learned this through a buddy, tarpon fishing. And it's, it's hard to do in deep water to try to keep a fish from going going deeper. But if you can pull from below them, a lot of times they're going to want to rise up because they're the, the pressure is below them. So a lot of times these guys will hook tarpon and they'll say, all right, keep your rod super low and it'll keep that fish up near the surface. Um, amberjack, certain fish like that, you can't really do that because they're just already going to go back down to the wreck. But like a bull redfish, if you can, if you've got them up on the surface already, and, and you keep that rod tip lower, a lot of times he'll stay up on the surface. But when you start pulling up on him, he's going to want to go down on you. Doesn't always work, but I've definitely seen it seen it play out. A um, success that way, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's. Stri- I mean, even the sometimes I remember when we used to hook stripers in that deep water too. Sometimes they just shoot straight up to the surface. Yeah, a couple cranks, you know. And then they'll keep the fight up high the whole the whole fight, and then sometimes you hook them down deep, and it's like just bulldogging yeah, down deep. Yeah, it's all down deep. Too. It's definitely every fish is different, but it's something to try if you're hooking those fish and like barracuda, amberjacks. They're gonna want to get down on the wreck. Yeah. That's where they feel safe. But other fish, you know, you can sometimes <laughs> keep them up high that way. Um, we had a couple of requests here that yeah. um, on our on our Facebook comments, um, Matthew wants you to talk about the bottom sweeper jigs a little bit. Yeah, it's um. That's uh, the sheep's head jigs I use. Okay, gotcha. Um, and uh, a good friend of mine, Dan Schaefer, makes them. Um, and he's one of the guys who's, you know, one of the, the guys you can say really uh, put sheep's head fishing into perspective in the northern part of this country. Um, and they're particularly, you know, well-shaped jig with a good-sized hook for majority of crab baits and a hook that's um, embedded deep enough into that, in that lead into his lead pour that I'm not opening them up on redfish either. So it's a, it's a certain jig, one of the, the jigs I can use that, you know, use a decent hook uh, that I'm not opening up on bull redfish, which is important because a lot of times you do this sheep's head fishing, you get bull reds in the mix, uh, at least around here. And uh, yeah, it's uh, another one of those things, carry a quarter ounce, carry a half ounce, carry a three. <laughs> Sheep, sheep's head are funny, man. When you start using these, these, uh, these types of jigs with them, um, Sometimes, some days they'll just pick it up and swim with it. But if you're too heavy, they'll peck at it. They'll let the trash fish. But some days you just drop that half ounce jig. I mean, another one of those fish, if you can go as light as possible and get away with it, you'll have better success with them then. And the big sheep are exactly the same thing. Like, you know, to me, a 10-pound sheep's head, it's exactly like a 40-inch drum. If you yeah. put the jig in the right way, I mean, there's been times they've like literally closed the bale and the, the drag is already screaming. It's not a drum; it's a sheep's head. Yeah. So stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I I find the jig system to be easiest to employ on the kayak versus the Carolina rig. 
I mean, the knocker rigs are what I've used, and a lot, a lot of the Chesapeake Bay guys like a lot for um, their sheepshead fishing, but also they are fishing heavier weights typically than I would be using jig fishing. So that's, I think if you, my general rule of thumb, if you need to use more than one ounce uh, for your sheepshead fishing or crab bait fishing, I'd go to the knocker rig. And are you talking weight above the swivel or below the swivel, between the swivel and the hook? On the knocker rigs? Yeah, knocker rig. below the below the, below the swivel. This way you can feel the bites. If yeah. You, I mean, you can use a real short leader too. Yeah. Like maybe eight inches. I think that that's acceptable overall. But when you start getting these longer leaders, you'll never feel these sheepshead bites. Even these yeah. 10 pound fish sometimes. Uh, if there's current or they're you know, just being fussy and where they're fighting between croakers and other trash fish, right. it all feels the same some days. And then some days it's just like, oh, the big sheep that just, you know, slams it. Same deal with Todd. He's everything I just said, uh, same exact deal with Todd. With Todd. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Sometimes the sheep's head too, you'll, you'll just see, especially fish in shallower water, you'll just, you, your, line you, moves. your line just starts moving so to the side. Using, you don't even feel a bite. If you're using too heavy of a jig, they'll drop it. But if you're using the right size weight, They'll do that. They'll they'll pick it up and swing with yeah. swim with it, and then it's time to, yeah. to stick them. It's funny that they can just pick it up that soft and, and undetected. Yeah, that's awesome. And then Andrew says, "I need one of those uh, shads in orange. The I think the five inch that you're showing earlier. You, mm. you have that on orange. And I did in make orange. some prototypes. So I'm making some new stuff. So um, the first thing uh, that we're doing that should be different is um, hopefully this is going to continue to go forward. I don't want to say with who, but working with somebody." Uh, a uh, very large company uh, will be hopefully putting out some thermoplastic materials of molds like this, my molds, but very similar. Um, so thermoplastic, explain that real quick. So um, like um, um, they call TPE or TPR materials, stretchy stuff. The stretchy oh, stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, so hopefully that ball can get rolling, and it's, it's been something that's requested. Um, unfortunately, I'm a one man show, and of you know between filming and sending out orders and, and wholesaling and just everything you can imagine under the sun. Um, I'm pretty much tied up, uh, but uh, with a little bit of help, hopefully we can explore the, you know, working on some of those baits with that material because it's an interesting material to um, the thermoplastics for, you know, especially when you're talking about stuff with bluefish. I know this stuff gets expensive. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you like the stuff that gets bit in half because <laughs> someone's going to come order I always press like, buy again. I <laughs> <laughs> I always like the traditional PVC plastics, how they move in the water yeah. column in deep water. They don't twist under pressure. Um, then they have a certain swing and they have a certain sink rate. And also on top of the way they sit on the bottom, the PVCs tend to, not the PVCs, um, the thermoplastics. Um, that's why like stuff like Ned rigs and stuff like that are so awesome, especially you don't want your plastic sitting on the bottom from the largemouth. You want it right. to, to suspend. Um, so certain, they all have their strengths and weaknesses, For just sure. like anything else. Strengths and weaknesses. Screen went black just now. Oh, oh yeah, just uh, it's still recording, so just keep going. Not sure, yeah, not sure what's happening. We're good though. We're good. <laughs> anything else we got? Yeah. Um, oh, and, and just real quick, uh, as we're talking about your products, I just want to remind people that are watching or listening. We're in. Uh, to, I'm in. Texas Tackle here in Wilmington, um, Intracoastal Angler. And I just got a message the other day from Eastern Outfitters up in awesome. Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. cool, man. Yeah, so awesome. And then also they can go buy online? or yeah. rather, okay. uh, my website is what I prefer. But, you know, Amazon is <laughs> what people prefer. <laughs> <laughs> I have what I prefer. Can you do one-day shipping? We'll buy from you. Yeah, I, I prefer <laughs> you buy from me, but people prefer to buy from Amazon. 
he'll, he'll meet he'll meet meet you at the local Walmart. Right. <laughs> uh, at Amazon, um, yeah, it is easy to find. And what's your website again? Eliasfeefishing dot com. Easy to find. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, appreciate you sharing that with us and, and sharing your product. So you guys go support him, help him continue that journey uh, on his website. There, always. I'm the business guy of the group, man. I love to to promote products and sell products. So didn't want to miss an opportunity to tell Andrew where to go buy that. So. For sure, for sure. Um, well, let's do. If you got any closing things, I think one good question is like just a quick answer. How can I catch more? fish on my kayak i know that can be super detailed but like what's one thing like one little small piece of advice that you could give people that that want to kayak fish how can i catch more fish fish the first three hours of daybreak first the first three hours if you're of not daybreak. fishing especially this summertime stuff man if you're not fishing sunrise to 8 a.m that's your most important window to catch fish right okay. now i feel that well, that's my my personal if I, if I slept in that extra hour, I always would run late. It throws me off my game so much. And it happens to everybody. The alarm didn't go off. Something happened in the morning. And those days where the weather was perfect and you felt like you had your plan together and something screwed you up late. Man, I'm always, like tomorrow, for example, we have some pretty good weather. I mean, maybe some pretty good weather. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we, we got weather that I need to get up early. Yeah. That's yeah. basically what I'm, I'm doing it. And knowing that it's summertime, um, I got to get on that water early and hopefully, you know, we'll catch fish by 8 a.m. And that'll probably be the peak of the day. I'm, or at least I'm getting into the dialed in part to get started 7 a.m. Mm, man, that's tough. Yeah. It can be tough. I like it. That, that's that's really yeah. good information. I see that across the board. Catch fish all day, but that morning bite when the water's as hot is definitely um is definitely pretty you want to, be, and a, you want to be the first one catching that fish when that bite just turns on not right. the middle or the end yeah yep you, yeah. you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah yeah it's like going to work man it's better like starting no one wants to go to work at three o'clock in the afternoon exactly exactly <laughs> it's a mental game maybe not even fish, the fish it is care. It's just even when i've got game. a guide trip in the afternoon i i i've got to set some up tide wise for that if we're sight fishing or something like that but it's, i wake up and i'm like god i really wish i was just already on the water fishing it's hard to get amped Right. Later on in the day, yeah. and it's tough for you guys to be like to push people that aren't necessarily. I, mean, I remember that when I was guiding, I might uh, had my sense of urgency, knowing that, oh boy, it's like there's this one hour window where this is gonna matter. Yeah, and the rest of it might be a wash. But striper we can get them right then. Striper, especially striper fishing in that 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 time of year where we transitioned from uh, spring to summer with the water getting hot, etc. And when I used to guide, it was like. Man, five thirty to six thirty is where this counts, and it's like the guy's like, mm, you know, stretching, not really into it. Right. Yet. And I'm like, man, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. Awesome. Well, well, dude, yeah. Any closing thoughts? Like, just I mean, for people uh, who yeah, are kayaking. Thanks for, thanks or... for inviting me, guys. They're trying something different. Um, the Eastern Current. Uh, it's you know, it, it's cool. You know, you never know what the next big thing is. So you're doing something different here. Um, it's funny. I'm learning so much everywhere I'm fishing, and I really love fishing it coastal anywhere. Honestly, it's all yeah. a different journey and different type of fishing. It's funny what things transition all up and down the coast anywhere you go to fish, and what things aren't universally useful. It's yeah. uh, always funny to see what techniques you can apply anywhere you go in the world versus what's uh, localized. Definitely, it seems like more things than not you can transfer across the board. And I mean, you could learn something from feeding bread to a carp that you could apply somewhere else. I mean, there's, there's really, I always tell clients that there's, there's 
people that just get on the boat and like, I just want to fly fish. If we can't fly fish, screw it. I don't want to go fishing. I'm like, we can, you can learn so much as an angler by just trying different techniques and, 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 you know, I, that, that's kind of what fires me up is just learning like you're saying. So, yeah. And if you can't do that, start a, start a podcast like this. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> you guys think I'm here because I'm good at fishing. No, I'm here because I suck at fishing. <laughs> He's the he's our number one fan. I'm a, yeah, I'm the number one fan. I just I was just the guy that was smart enough to do the soundboard. And Billy like, is like up. crushing it every every time we get in here. We're like, what's going on? We got something wrong, and Billy figures it out right before the show. Oh my gosh! Man, uh, but that's part of the fun of this. But yeah, we just want to thank Elias for coming out and yeah, and um, coming on the show, and it was a blast. We're gonna have um, Jot Owens of Jot It Down Charters on the show next week, and we're gonna talk about late season. Cobia and bull redfish, old drum. That's what we call them a lot of times here in North Carolina. I like calling them bull redfish. It's a little more maybe a little jetty BA fishing as well. I think right? a little what? That's a little jetty fishing in there. Yeah, as well. uh, focusing on the jetty and some of that nearshore stuff. But I like to call it the jotty because he's got that place dialed. The jotty. <laughs> but um, yeah, awesome. we're excited to have Jod on the show, and we we're super stoked to have Elias. We'd love to have him back on the show. Um, I'm here in the future, and um, if you haven't, go subscribe to his YouTube channel. It's Elias V Fishing. And uh, check out his videos. There's some super cool stuff. You can see him almost die sinking his kayak out there. Um, and I, I got the alert for your, like you were saying, that that new sh- the yeah, new one. Yeah, I got that while we were sitting here too. Yeah. About uh, getting your license checked. So I'm excited to see that one. But you want to you close it out, yeah, Billy? Man. Well, awesome. Well, appreciate it. Thank you Thank for you. being on the show. Uh, it was amazing. It's awesome. Learned a lot. So sorry if I wasn't super interactive. I'm just like zoned in again, like taking notes in my in my mind so i think we're gonna go ahead and give away the catch of the week yeah that's we right gave that's catch right. of the week so we already gave catch of the week so we're, we're gonna randomly select someone in the comments to give away uh something else in that box over there you got it up there it's not showing all the comments for me as it usually doesn't oh perfect yeah no i got it here we go this is the best way to do it here we go close one eye perfect john c young jr awesome he says great job tonight thanks for the live show john thanks for watching uh, and if you, you just send us a message, sh- send us your address. Uh, I think we got a hat or something like that from AFCO that we'll send over to you. We do. Uh, appreciate everyone watching the show. Judson, once again, man, episode seven, we've made it this far. We just keep progressing every week and, and trying to get better at, at the show and what we're doing. And also trying to bring on some, you know, just amazing guests um, as Elias has as drop some knowledge of kayak fishing some serious knowledge i always want these if if it was up to me these shows would go for like five hours because i'd keep diving into these rabbit holes yeah man i mean there's so much to talk about like i think we covered like all kinds of species tonight and in different in different strategies and so uh in a few i I don't know exactly when but we're actually going to be doing another kayak show with hook line and paddle talking about rigging up your kayak for fishing so uh, for all you kayak fishermen out there, keep up with us. But yeah, next week we'll be back at 8 p.m. on Tuesday. Uh, one thing you can do, guys, is just share this video, uh, blast it out there, all your fishing buddies, friends, Facebook pages, all that kind of stuff that really helps us out. Check out our podcast, review it, rate it, and don't forget to get some Eastern Current gear at etcurrent.com. Appreciate you guys watching. Until next week, have a great night. Have a great week. Peace. We'll see you.